0: So, today, I'm gonna go a little bit old school for me. I grew up in a pretty conservative evangelical church tradition, and if you grew up in that kind of conservative evangelical tradition like I did, you know that a good sermon will always have three bullet points, or if it's really good, it'll be five bullet points. But, if you want to top off that three-point or five-point sermon, each of those points will begin with the same letter. So it'll be like, this morning, I'm gonna talk about the three C's, like confession, contrition, and change or something, right? And then if it's an even awesome sermon, it'll be like, this morning, I'm gonna talk about the five A's. I wanna talk about three things, and typically, I don't like to talk about more than one thing, but it's my 20 minutes, so I'm gonna talk about three things. And there is no, there is no acronym, There's no ABCs, there's no numbers, there's nothing. It's just three things. Um, So uh, I thank you for giving me this time and opportunity. The first thing that I want to talk about today is this idea that you and I, every single person here, we were created to flourish. That's the name of our sermon series, Flourish, not to find joy for me.
1: And as I thought
0: about that sermon title, I realized that, I didn't always believe that. I don't always believe that. Because in the daily, weekly, monthly grind of work, sometimes I just get stuck in autopilot. I get stuck with this mentality that uh, I just need to get through this. And uh, at worst, I think, well, this is just what life is. This is how it is and this is how it will always be. And that's not the case. Uh, In our first sermon of this series, uh, Rich Haggard, he preached on Genesis chapter two. And in Genesis chapter two, it tells the story of how God created the heavens and the earth and God created humankind. And when God placed humankind on earth, and you can read this as literally or as metaphorically as you want, it doesn't matter, it's all the same. When God placed humankind in that garden, God gave two commandments. God said, be fruitful and multiply, And the second commandment was to take care of the garden. In no place in Genesis does God say, hey, the garden is perfect, don't touch anything, don't break anything, this is like an antique store, just admire it, dust it, but don't change anything. No, God, the power, Those human beings to say, you know what, take what you have now, but be fruitful, cultivate the land, cultivate the resources that you have, be in relationship, and take what you have right now and create even more beautiful and complex things. Essentially, God was telling the humankind that you are created to flourish, not to stagnate, but to be something more than you are right now. And you might think, yeah, I get it, that's obvious. But I think the weight of work, I think the weight of uh, negativity, I think the weight of a really crappy supervisor, all of those things rob us of that command, of that joy that we are supposed to experience. And this morning I just want to remind everyone that you and I, we were created to flourish. When I first came to Urban Village Church, I had a conversation with a young man, a member of this church, and I don't want to embarrass him, but I, I think he's like maybe 10 years younger than I am. And so, um, and that's important to the story. I said, hi, you know, what's your name? I asked him what he does for a living, and then he told me, and I said, oh, that's so cool. Um, and he said, eh, sometimes it is. Um, he says, what I'm doing right now, sometimes sometimes work just sucks but he said when I look at the people who are a couple years ahead of me in my field not everyone some of them
1: and I see
0: the really creative really inspiring really cool things that they are doing and I tell myself or I I realize that what I'm doing right now is not the end I am moving towards something where I can use my gifts and my talents to just feel even more fulfilled than I am right now. So I'm okay with what it is, what's going on right now because I'm moving towards something else, something bigger, something greater uh, to flourish. And I thought to myself, man, when I was this person's age, all I thought about was how life just sucked and that's how it always was. What I realized with this young man is that He was envisioning a life that was greater than the one that he had right now. And I'm not saying that he wasn't thankful, but he was envisioning something greater. Now, you might be thinking right now, well, I have some co-workers that are a couple years ahead of me, and I look at their life and I think, wow, their life sucks, and I I don't want to be there. Well, let me tell you this, you owe it to yourself to be inspired. And so those are the people that you're looking at that you are looking at the wrong people. You owe it to yourself to have an enlarged vision of not only things on a macrocosmic level, but for your own life. Why? Because you and I, we were created to flourish. Now, I'm going to go even more old school. Uh, In the church tradition that I grew up in, when the pastor really wanted you to affirm something, he or she would make you say it. And so on the count of three, if you're comfortable and if you're not, that's totally cool. But if you're comfortable on the count of three, I want you to say, I was made to flourish. Ready? One, two, three. I was made to flourish. I am a firm believer. I am not a neuroscientist. But I am a firm believer that thinking something is not enough. When you actually say it, I think that's when the neurons start really creating pathways. And if there's somebody who's scientific who can disprove my theory, please do so quietly at the end of (laughs) service. But I'm a firm believer that when you say it, it holds truth in your life. And so as you walk out of this place today, I want you to repeat that as a mantra, as a prayer to yourself, that I am made to flourish. The second thing that I want to talk about this morning is that you and I, we all have a natural fruit. A Couple weeks ago, no, actually it's been a couple months now, I preached at our Hyde Park, Woodlawn location, the Urban Village Church. Their pastor, Emily McGinley, she preached here last Sunday. Well, I was preaching over there, and at the end of the sermon, a gentleman came up to me, and he was a pastor as well, Uh, and he he was just visiting uh, our church that Sunday, and he comes up to me, and he says, "Pastor, a good sermon, you know, whatever. And then he says, Paul, what is your natural fruit? And I think he could tell by the blank, like, confused <laughs> look on my face, that I had no idea what he was talking about. So he explained to me. He said, each of us has been given by God a seed, a specific seed. And that specific seed, when it's planted, when it's cultivated, when it's nourished, will produce a specific type of tree. And when that tree is given the necessary nutrients, when that tree is given the proper conditions and the proper and in the proper season, that specific tree will produce a fruit, a fruit natural to itself. Now we can talk about grafting and genetic modifying, but we're just talking about you know old school, right? So for example, an apple tree will produce an apple. apple. All right, you guys are with right? It's unnatural for an apple tree to produce, say, an orange. It would be even more unnatural for an apple tree to produce a pineapple, because pineapples don't grow on trees. <laughs> similarly, similarly, somebody told me they grow grown a bush or a plant Just It's a bush. It's a bush, yeah. <laughs> similarly, <laughs> similarly, each of you, and me, we have all been given a seed by God. It's a metaphorical seed, obviously, right? And that seed will grow under different conditions because not all of us are the same, right? We require different things to fill us and feed us, and not all seeds and plants and trees produce at the same season of life. But when we grow and we flourish, each and every one of us produces a natural fruit. And that natural fruit is a gift or a talent. That's something that you do better than anybody else. Now that talent might manifest itself as something very profitable and marketable and publicly recognizable and something that you can share on social media. Like if you're... I don't know, if you're LeBron James and you're the greatest basketball player, then, you know, that's obviously one of your natural fruits. And those are things that everyone recognizes and that everyone celebrates. But I find more often than not that our natural fruits aren't necessarily going to be something that you could sort of see with the public eye. I have a friend, and his natural fruit is that he is a non-anxious presence. Nothing will rattle this brother. Mm-hmm. Someone could be yelling at him. Timelines can be completely blown out. People are complaining. Uh, things at home might not be going well. But this guy, this brother, he is just in control. And he says, everybody relax. I got this. God is in control. Let's just take care of business. And so, wherever this guy is, whether it's with friends, family members, or at work, he provides this calming presence. And that's his natural fruit. And guess what? Nobody is ever going to write on Facebook, you know, guess what? I have, I'm a non-anxious presence. You know, hashtag celebrate (laughs) me. You can't take a picture of a non-anxious presence. Maybe Maybe you can fruit and that's something that this person has that that they do better than everybody else. There's uh, uh, another friend that I had and she self-admittedly says that she loves spreadsheets.
1: (laughs) Somebody somebody snorted a laugh there, right? Um,
0: She loves looking at all the numbers and the data. And she loves being able to organize and categorize and create all different kinds of formulas and manipulating and working with spreadsheets. And um, when I hear things like that, I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) There are human beings like that? But there are, and guess what? Because she is really good at data and numbers and organization, wherever she goes, she is able to bring order to chaos. It's a natural fruit. And there's tons of other things that uh, you and I, that we possess, that has been given, given to us by God. And that when we discover what our natural fruit is, that that's when we're able to really flourish. And here's the thing. I find more often than not that discovering that natural fruit, it does not happen by ourselves. You can't just go sit in your room one day and think, hmm, what is my natural gift and talent by God? It doesn't work like that. More often than not, it requires good and close and spiritual people in your life to speak truth into your life and to reveal and to discover and to encourage those natural gifts and talents. Because sometimes you don't even think you have it until somebody points it out to you. Each and every one of you has a natural fruit. And when you cultivate it, When you cultivate it is when you begin to experience greater joy, and and you experience a flourishing in all aspects of your life. The third thing that I want to talk about is our scripture reading today, because at some point you've got to get to the Bible. Like I mentioned before, I grew up in a pretty conservative evangelical church tradition, and in my church tradition, Christianity was all about answering this one fundamental question. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? And the answer, the, the choice is, you either go to heaven, where everything is beautiful, streets are paved with gold, you walk on clouds, and everything is edible because it's made of chocolate, like you know, Willy Wampa's land, or the other alternative is that you go to hell and you burn and you're tortured for eternity. And so the point of Christianity was for you to cross that line from being someone who's gonna go to hell to somebody who's gonna go to heaven. And once you cross that line into now I'm in the heaven camp, the point of Christianity was to convince as many people as possible to come and join your camp and to think and believe what you believed in. Why? Because this life, this here and now is completely disposable, because this was nothing more than a test for the afterlife, eternity. And for me, that concept of Christianity had dominated my uh, worldview for uh, the better part of my life. Uh, Several years ago, um, not by my own genius, but I heard a great sermon by some other pastor that talked about these last couple chapters in the book of Revelation. And as I began to read the last two chapters, chapter 21 and 22, I realized that the Bible had something else to say about the end of all things, about heaven, and what what it looks like, what what the future is gonna be. If you notice in our scripture reading today, in Revelation chapter 21, it's the second to last chapter of the Bible. The author, John, he has this vision and it's a vision, so it's it's a metaphor. It's not supposed to be exact. But he has this vision where he looks up into the sky and he sees a giant city, the city of God. And the city of God is up there, but then it is descending to this earth, to this place, to this ground. And as it is descending, John, he hears the voice of God and God says, not only to him, but to all people, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell and live among the people. Think about that for a second. My whole notion of Christianity was how do I escape this reality and get to that reality? But at the end of scripture, it's something else. It's not about how to escape this reality. It's about how does God and the kingdom of God and the values of God and all that heaven represents, how is that going to come and crash down here in this place? It's not so much about escape, but it's more about working with God to create and to cultivate a world that has the values of heaven here and now in this place. There's an ancient Jewish um, term. It's called Tikkun Olam, and it came about in the first century, right around when Jesus was walking this earth. Tikkun Olam it means um, it means repair of the world, or another translation is construction for eternity. And what these ancient Jewish rabbis believed was, they believed that when you do good works, when you use your gifts and your talents and you use it for good, what you are actually doing is you are repairing the broken fabric of this reality. And as you repair the broken fabric of this reality, what you're doing is you are espousing, you're bringing in the values of the kingdom of God, of heaven, here on this earth. So it wasn't so much about going to heaven, but how do I create and transform this reality into what heaven is supposed to be like. And so this is the vision that John is having in the second to last chapter of the Bible. And then in the last chapter of the Bible, this is the end of the Bible. In chapter 22, John, he's now in this city which has come crash to this earth. And he says, in this city, Uh, Because the Bible started off in a garden, it got cultivated, and now it's a city, right? That's just the progression, and that's a whole other story. But he's in the city, and he says, in the middle of the city, I see a river flowing down the center. And down the center, of the, uh, and on both sides of the river, I see trees, trees of life. These trees of life produce fruit that provide for the sustenance of all living things, and the branches and the leaves of these trees are for the healing and restoration of the nations. Heaven comes to this earth, and there are these trees of life, and these trees of life are for uh, sustenance and restoration and repair. It's the end of all things. So the third thing that I want to say this morning is this. You and I, we are those trees of life. You are created to flourish. You are given a unique seed or a talent. Whether you've discovered it or not, brother or sister, it's there. And when it flourishes, you will flourish into a tree of life. Your life is not just about your own personal happiness. That's really important, by the way. But your life, your work, what you do is for the transformation of this earth so that heaven can come crashing down to here in this place. That's what your life is about. I want to share a story. Uh, I grew up in New York City. And uh, there's this pastor. His name was William Marcus James. And this guy, he was a rock star. He was legendary in New York City. He was born in 1915. Uh, He was, I don't think he was born in New York. I think he was born somewhere down south. But he was born in 1915. He became ordained as a pastor in the Methodist Church. So this predates the United Methodist Church, 1940. This African-American guy becomes a pastor, and for 33 years, he leads churches in New York City. Now, this is pre-civil rights movement era, and he was one of the early leaders of the civil rights movement, I mean, long before the 60s, in Harlem, he was always a conscientious objector to war, so when, uh, whether it was the Vietnam War or whatever, he was always on the front lines talking about bringing peace and restoration. This guy was also one of the earliest um, early civil rights leaders for gay and lesbian rights, way before the civil rights era. And I mean, this guy, he was, he was just a rock star. Everyone, everyone knew William Marcus James. Um, I had the opportunity to know this historical great pastor, but it wasn't under good circumstances. Uh, As many of you might know, my dad uh, is a retired United Methodist Church pastor. He was a pastor for uh, 35, 40 years. And uh, when I was 17, he was pastoring a church in New York. And there was just this one guy at church who, for some reason or another, just had it out for my dad. He just did not like my dad whatsoever. And so he just used all of his gifts and talents and resources to make my dad's life living hell. And he was, uh, he was Korean American like my dad, but he, he was really smart. So he was a professor at Columbia University, uh, the Ivy League, and he was just really smart. He had a lot of money. He understood bureaucracy. He had a lot of connections. And he just used all of that at his disposal to see if he can get my dad thrown out of his church. Now, my dad, on the other hand, he is, he was born in Korea uh, during the Korean War. Uh, He's the son of a farmer. My dad comes from super humble, like, you know, third world beginnings. Um, he, he'd been living in the U.S. for maybe close to 20 years at that time, but my dad's English was not very good. He couldn't really speak the language. He sure did not know how to navigate the bureaucracy of large denominations or the politics of anything. And um, I've never seen my dad so frustrated, so angry, so defeated, so upset before in my life. That broke my heart. Um, and I try to do what I can to being bilingual, but I just, I, uh, what can a 17-year-old do in, in the face of this huge situation? Well, somehow, William Marcus James, at this time, he was 83 years old, so he'd been retired a long time. He heard about my dad's situation. How? I have no idea. But he reached out to my dad, and he said, look, he said, look, Reverend Hump, um, I'm going to be your advocate. And so for the next year, he became my dad's champion. He would navigate the bureaucracy. He would talk to district superintendents and bishops and all the higher ups in the church. And he advocated for my dad so that my dad could keep his job to keep pastoring. And um, and my dad was able to. And you know, uh, I I looked him up recently, I thought, what's what's, uh, Reverend James doing right now? And it turned out that he passed away in 2013 at uh, the ripe old age of 97. As I thought about Reverend James more, I was thinking about him as I was uh, working on this sermon, and I realized that had it not been for him, I'm pretty sure that my dad would have just gotten swallowed up. And if at 17, my dad as a pastor got that burned by the church, I'm pretty sure that 18 years later that I would not be a pastor standing before you here today. See, I think Reverend James, growing up in the pre-civil rights era as an African American living in New York City, I think he understood what it's like to have no voice. I think he understood what it was like to experience racism on a systemic and personal level. I think he also understood what it's like to feel like a small cot in a big, big machine. And so I think he took it upon himself. He saw it as his gifting, as his talent, to help those who are in need as well. In short, Reverend William Marcus James was a tree of life for my dad, to heal him, to sustain him, to bring him a new life. But guess what? Guess what trees do? Not only do they grow and blossom and produce fruit, but those fruits fall to the ground and they plant new seeds. And I can say without a doubt that I am one of his seeds. And so what does that mean for you and me? You have a seed, you grow it, you flourish it, but that's not it. You also have a responsibility to plant the seeds that you create for the flourishing of others. And guess what? You may not see the fruits of those, but you are a part of that, because that is what God created you and I to be. You are created to flourish, you are created to produce your natural fruit, and you are created to be the tree of life.